everybody. Welcome to episode 118 of Roto Sauce. My name is Greg Sauce, and I'm your host. On the line with me for another installment of the Gridiron Throne, the great Jeff Dumont, first of his name. How you doing, Jeff? Yes. Winner of titles. I'm doing great. I'm doing great. How are you doing, man? Good, man. So we just watched Season 8, Episode 2 last night, uh, recording this Monday evening. And we have a lot of thoughts on Game of Thrones, and we're going to extend our next character to die draft. Uh, that's what we call a teaser in the podcast business. But before we talk about all those characters we think are going to die in Game of Thrones, we have to talk fantasy football first, as usual. And we're going to do some best ball strategy talk on this episode. Jeff, we're both coming at this from like an MFL 10 slash best ball 10 perspective. That's that's primarily where we like to play. There are different ways to even play best ball 10. So caveats aside, and maybe we can talk about like the difference in strategy between playing like a, a winner take all league and a, like a double up league where like the top half will get paid out. But in general, what is your approach to best ball drafting? Because it's a little different than seasonal uh, and a lot different than something like dynasty, of course. Uh, and I'm curious, just what, what are your kind of fundamentals uh, for best ball drafts? Uh, pretty much for best balls. It's a full PPR. It's usually a 20 round draft, at least the uh, best ball tens. I, half of my picks, at least 10 guys are going to be pass catchers. I'm going to take seven or eight wide receivers, two or three tight ends. And but my first uh, out of my first ten picks, my first five will probably be running backs. So I generally my early round strategy is taking as many running backs as I can in the top hundred picks, and then uh, and then just loading up on a lot of these uh, the, these high variance pass catchers or pass catchers. I think are going to get a lot of catches. So you can go like a lot of different ways. Well, yeah, that's the beauty of this stuff is that depending upon where you're drafting and depending upon how a draft breaks, you might actually be incentivized to take wide receivers higher, running backs higher. I think one thing you and I will both agree on is that you should not pay up for a quarterback ever, and you need to really be disciplined about when you're willing to pay up for a tight end. I don't think that... Yes. I think that's something that we both tend to avoid are the early round tight ends and the early round quarterbacks. Will will yeah. you find yourself drafting like the Travis Kelseys and the George Kittles though at tight end? I, I I see the appeal of those players, especially if you are looking at maybe a zero RB approach to your roster yeah. construction. But for me, I I still just don't like paying the premium for those high end tight ends because I feel like there's always a couple different players at that position who go later than they should. Uh, last year, Kittle was a great example of that. I ended up with him on a lot of best ball rosters. But what, what's your approach to the tight end? position because i think that's one of the the trickier ones to sort out yeah i'm i'm the exact same way I, if i could take three tight ends from picks 15 to 17 i'd be fine with that uh like kelsey someone like kelsey and kittle like if they if they're there in the third round i'll think about it you know uh but generally i'm just gonna just pass on the high-end tight ends there's a lot of good values later in the in the draft for tight ends like dallas goddard's pretty good so uh, he has a best ball 10 uh adp of 145 um, Hayden, Mark Andrews and Hayden Hurst, both of those guys from Baltimore. Uh, one of these guys is really going to break out, and uh, they both have a lot of upside. But yeah, no, I, I generally just punt on the early round tight ends and quarterbacks. It's good to have the two QB mindset um, because you really don't want to be paying for quarterbacks. Yeah, and I want to spend a little bit of extra time on quarterback later, but let's keep the more general, I guess, theory discussions going first. I, I'm surprised that you said you would draft five running backs right away because I find myself more often steering towards wide receivers at the top end of drafts and usually in the first round I do want to try to land one of those stud running backs I just find that in the second round the third round the fourth round it's harder for me to feel comfortable with a running back pick there and expecting that running back to become a bell cow rusher I think that there are some guys that will hit 
but I think it's hard to find those guys repeatedly year after year in the second, third, fourth round. And so with that in mind, I will pay up for that stud running back in the first, and then I'm typically looking more towards wide receivers starting as early as round two. And and that can even extend to round one if you know, if I'm drafting 11th or 12th and then the first 10 picks off the board are all running backs, I might just pivot to a wide receiver with my first pick and try to leverage the draft that way. But explain a little yeah. bit more why you're willing to go so running back heavy at the top. Uh, with, it's it's a high-risk, high-reward strategy. With with receivers, you know what you're going to get, and, and they're going to be solid points no matter what. The thing is with best balls is you're trying to win the league, so you're going to want to try to get that that three down running back that, that could be in a, a, like a top five overall player. Someone like, like in the second and third round, you can get Dalvin Cook at number 20 overall. You can get a, a Sony Michelle 34. Any of these guys can, can just bust out the RB ones. Uh, Marlon Mack, we talked about last week. He's uh, number 39 overall. Uh, so like, I, I don't know. I, I, if you ain't first, you're last, right? Like I just, I'm going for the home run mainly. I played in 65 uh, best ball or MFL 10 league last year. And I won 10 of them. This is like 15%. If you get over 10%, you're going to make a profit. I, I think you really want to load up on running backs. But if you don't load a load up on running backs, a lot of good pass catchers are like, I want a lot of league for having um, the, the Patriots running back pass catcher. James White. Yes. He was like a 12th round take in almost every best ball last year. Well, right. And that is kind of the big rub with all these discussions is that if you hit on, the right individual players, you can make up for a lot of warts at other places on your roster. Like Patrick Mahomes last year was uh, just a straight-up league winner if you had him. I did uh, some some crude math on this uh, before we recorded today, and there were only 30 instances of two quarterback pairings, like where you would match up two different quarterbacks, that actually would have outscored just Patrick Mahomes on his own. Like <laughs> Mahomes had about 400 points, and there were only 30 pairs of other quarterbacks that would have topped that last year, which is just insane. So if you had Mahomes, if you had James White, if you had George Kittle, those guys went a really long way towards helping you win those best ball leagues. God, that's so ridiculous. You know, I had a trigger moment. Uh, for Mahomes was my highest-owned quarterback last year, last year because he was going around. My trigger was pick 127. And later in the draft season, he was actually falling. Early in the draft season, he was pretty trendy, about a top 100 pick. And so, my, like, for some reason, every time I saw him go past 127, I would take him. And that's probably why I won 15 leagues. But, but um, yeah, I think I had about a 30% share of him. So, yeah, that, that's insane. That's crazy. Yeah, I mean, and so it really is about finding those breakouts from the lower tiers. And that is why I am a little bit more inclined to go with wide receivers in those early rounds. Because you talked about how running backs will often pop out of nowhere, out of the middle rounds, to ascend to that either like high-end status or at least like usable best ball status. Wide receivers don't really make that leap up into you know, the, the elite tier very often. Like, typically, the guys you would expect to finish that high, finish that high. Julio Jones, DeAndre Hopkins, Antonio Brown, whoever. It's I, th- I feel like it's harder for a wide receiver to jump up, like, multiple tiers than it is for a running back because there is just more fragility at the running back position. And so that is one of the appeals of, like, a zero RB approach, and I think that's why it does still make some sense in best ball leagues. But I, I it can go either way, and it really is about kind of picking the right types of players or, or at least balancing your risk in a way that makes sense. And I think that's the big 
key for me is getting that blend of stability and of volatility. Like you want stable producers, yeah. PPR monsters, you know, those pass catching running backs you talked about, uh, guys like, you know, Jarvis Landry or Julian Edelman, the guys who are just going to catch a lot of passes week to week to maintain some amount of floor. And then you also want those boom bust type players, you know, goal line running backs, big play wide receivers, uh, the types of players that are going to score a ton of points all at once in a single week. And those yeah. give you those like week winning scores and you want to stack those up across multiple positions with that in mind i think you really do need to pay a lot of attention to the positional needs of the other drafters you're going against and try to find leverage there and that's why i brought up that example earlier where if i'm drafting 11th and the first 10 people take running backs they're all kind of fighting over that position themselves and i don't mind kind of being a little contrarian and taking the first wide receiver off the board or something along those lines typically in a normal draft i might be more willing to chase the chase the run a little bit to make sure that I get as close to a stud running back if I can as I can but because it is a winner take all because if you're not first you're last I think it is a little more viable to go contrarian when appropriate you know what I'm saying yeah absolutely yeah I'm the same way if like the first 10 picks are running backs I mean yeah I'll, I'll be gladly to take I'd be very happy to take uh, Hopkins, you know, at number 11 or 12 or, or Adams. Um, I've won a lot of leagues for by going wide receiver, wide receiver, one, two. So, yeah, you know what you're going to get. If you get seven or eight of them, you're, you're doing good. What are some other, like, key tenets to your best ball strategy? Like, one for me would be to try to invest in what you believe are going to be the high-powered offenses. Like, don't worry about stacking up players if you think that team is going to be good you also want to try to find the one breakout from certain teams here and there that might not necessarily be high powered. Like if you can find the one guy who hits in a particular offense, that's good. But the more odds on approach is just to go after the high powered offenses, you know, the saints or last year it was the chiefs, like teams like that. And if you can get players from those teams in a higher volume, I feel like that really helps you. Is there anything else along those lines, kind of just fundamental stuff that you look for when you're trying to make picks? Yeah, it never hurts to get players on really high, uh, like high scoring offenses for sure. I, I usually get guys that are right in the prime of their careers. Like, give me a guy coming off the off season. It's 26, 27, 28. You know, uh, I pretty much I'm always willing to take a chance on the guys that are falling in drafts because of what they did the year before. I mean, I, I never want to pay for what happened last year. That's a good recipe for losing, you know? <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, so generally, whoever's in a good situation, whoever's going to get uh, mainly like their the role in the offense or their projected role in their offense is the biggest key, you know. So I read a lot of Roto World, and so I just try to figure out who's going to get a lot of usage. So how do you think that that not paying for last year's stats is going to manifest for you in 2019? Like which types of players or which teams are you going to avoid with that sort of thing in mind? I know a couple episodes ago we talked about avoiding Baker Mayfield just because of the hype around him, but who are some other players that you'll probably be steering clear of just because you think they're overvalued based on last season? Yeah, I mean, early in the draft, number three overall is Christian McCaffrey. I mean, I really, I mean, you're you're drafting him right there at his peak. You know, we were talking about that a couple weeks ago. Um, I mean, he's a great pass catcher. I mean, yeah, of course, he's going to be gold in PPR leagues if he gets seven, eight catches per game. But yeah, I'm fading McCaffrey. I'm buying in on Lazy Bell just because of his volume. But, um, but yeah, a lot of these guys, like Pat Mahomes, I mean, he's never going to have the year he had last year. That's a sucker pick. He's going to be a second or third rounder in a lot of home leagues. So I'm going to get zero shares of Mahomes, even though I love him. So, yeah, it goes like that. Like Damian Williams I'm a little worried about, too. too. But, uh, yeah, it just it, it sucks to pay for, you know, career years. Which running backs would you actively take over McCaffrey then? Because I, I'm 
I'm on record as being against you on this one to some extent. Like, I think he is <laughs> worth the first round pick. Now, if you're saying that he should be picked, you know, fifth or sixth instead of third, I think that's fine. But I'm curious which running backs you're actually taking over him at this point. Yeah, I mean, if McCaffrey's there at like seven or eight, you know, six, seven, eight, uh, I would take him. But he's definitely going to be there at six, seven, eight. I would, I, I would take Le'Veon Bell. I would take uh, Kamara too. I would take these receivers too. I would take Hopkins and uh, Devontae Adams, Michael Thomas. I don't know. I'm going to have zero shares with McCaffrey. I already know it. Uh, pretty much, I would take Le'Veon Bell number three or number four overall. So I'm probably going to have a really, really high, uh, a high uh, exposure on. On Bell, I'll probably have him on forty to fifty percent of my leagues because I, I would take him. I probably wouldn't take him over Camara, but I'd take him over over Gurley. So probably about four or five range, or three, four or five. So, so yeah, I'm all about Le'Veon. Yeah, it makes sense. I'm I'm also keen to avoid bad teams. Like I'm probably not going to own a ton of Dolphins. I mean, Kenny Stills is always fine in a best ball league, but I would look towards those teams that I think are going to be bad and try to avoid them. And I will especially try to avoid teams that have bad offensive lines. I think that that is routinely something that gets overlooked and is a really easy way to identify guys who might bust. Like, I am mad at myself for not realizing that more with David Johnson last season, just looking at the state of that Cardinals offensive line. Like, I owned way too much David Johnson and Lamar Miller last year, and I am learning from that mistake this year. Like, if your team has a bad O-line, I'm probably not going to be investing in those running backs. That also applies to the QB position in 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 the set of wide receivers or tight ends for, you know, those teams with bad O-lines. I think the one exception you might be able to make is for like elite quarterbacks behind suspect O-lines. Like Russell Wilson's a good example. Yeah. Uh, Deshaun Watson, I, I would feel okay about him, even though his line isn't great. Like guys who are a little more mobile, guys who we know mm-hmm. are good passers who can you know deal with uh, having a, a shoddy line in front of them. That I might you know give a little bit of pause to before completely avoiding them. But certainly in the running game, I want to stay as far away as I can from bad offensive lines. Do you have anything else along those lines? Yeah, for sure, man. Yeah, avoid as many Dolphins as you can. Uh, I mean, it's hard to tell which offensive line is going to be bad, but you know the real bad ones. You know you know the teams that are going to be picking number one, two, and three overall last year, or next year. So yeah, definitely avoid that. Yeah, I mean, I guess last year you could have said that about Saquon Barkley, and he ended up being yeah. quite good, well, uh, despite the... The shaky offensive line, uh, whereas like, so so I guess there is more to it than just the line itself. Like there's also scheme. Like that was another problem with David Johnson. It's just the the coaching staff there was, wasn't doing him any favors with the types of plays they were calling. Whereas Barkley was, you know, just fed in a very overt way. Like he got a lot of yeah. targets, a lot of carries, and that tr- helped him transcend any problems that he would have had with that offensive line because Eli was a bad QB and so on. And it helps that Barkley is literally the most talented running back ever to play the game. We have Barry Sanders all over again, but more powerful. I think the best stat I saw with Barkley, he had about 15% uh, rushes in college for a, 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 a like no uh, for negative um, negative carries or zero yards. So that's like Barry Sanders. All I think Barry Sanders. The funniest stat with Sanders is he lost a thousand yards in his NFL career, but he still had the highest yards per carry. So he he's making something out of nothing. Nothing. So I don't know. I think we're going to see Saquon as the obvious number one overall pick for about a decade. It's going to be great. I have him in our keeper league. <laughs> yeah. How much do you pay for him? Yeah, eighty bucks. And I'm gonna, <laughs> I will I will pay one hundred and thirty dollars. I don't care out of the two sixty budget. I don't care. I'm going to have him for the next decade until he the wheels fall off. <laughs> All right, let's get back to best balls. Uh, and I do yeah. want to talk specifically about quarterbacks at this point. Which QBs do you like at their ADP? Because last year we had some interesting results. Like there were a few guys who just 
got injured and missed time. Like Carson Wentz was a bust. Jimmy Garoppolo was a bust. I'm going to attribute Marcus Mariota's bad 2018 mostly to injury. Uh, Alex Smith fits the bill as well. Aside from those four guys, the only real disappointments I feel like at the top of ADP were Tom Brady and Matthew Stafford. I feel like everybody else returned reasonable value. Uh, In terms of guys last year that I felt like overperformed relative to perception uh, were Drew Brees, Andrew Luck, Ben Roethlisberger, Matt Ryan, Patrick Mahomes, and Jared Goff. I think uh, Mitchell Trubisky, Baker Mayfield definitely make that list as well, but they were a little further down ADP. I'm curious, when you look at this year's ADP, when you look at 2019 data, which QBs stand out to you as potentially undervalued? Guys who you'll be more likely to end up with or more likely to target based upon where they're going in drafts? Uh, one guy we talked about last week, I think, is Aaron Rodgers. I didn't realize his his uh, best ball ten uh, ADP is seventy eight overall. That means you can get him in the seventh round. I will be glad to take him in the sixth round. I mean, yeah, he's a high end QB, but this is just weird for a quarterback with the skill set of Rodgers. I mean, he I think his his absolute floor is top three QB, you know. And uh, so I'm take I will be taking a lot of Rodgers, even though I'm going to go in to every draft of the mindset to wait on QB late round quarterback. But Rodgers this year specifically, that's a good value. Other guys I like, Wentz at 128 overall. Uh, Kirk Cousins with a high fl- a high, uh, high floor kind of guy. Uh, Phillip Rivers is always hated on. Uh, he's 135 overall. Jimmy G, 140. I mean, I, I like a lot of these guys. Uh, I, Kyler Murray at 175, that's going to go up a lot. As soon as he's the number one pick overall, he's going to be closer to 100 overall. But if you're drafting right now, you get Kyler Murray at 175. That's ridiculous. And Nick Foles at 202. That's, a, that's another high-floor guy if I need that late, if he's like QB 28. There are a few really late picks that I'm always going to have my eye on. Like, I think Foles is a good example of that. I talked about Mariota. Uh, he's currently QB 30 in Best Ball 10 ADP. And say what you will about him, he's probably not that bad, right? QB 30, he's going behind a, a bunch of other guys who I, I trust less, like Andy Dalton, uh, like... Ryan Fitzpatrick, like Nick Foles, uh, he's just one spot ahead of Joe Flacco in QB positional ADP, and I still think the upside is there with Mariota. I think he's a late-round target you can definitely look at. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick is up there in terms of just being a potential value, Um, but I kind of want to revert back to the top and and work my way down. I am avoiding basically everybody in the top five or six, and I think Mayfield is the poster boy for that. Like, There's no way I'm touching him at his ADP of QB4. Uh, Rogers going ahead of Mayfield. Uh, you said you might draft him. I don't think I will just because of the opportunity costs associated with that pick. Like right now he's going at pick 78. That's going to go up over the off season. Like as we yeah. get closer to, uh, you know, redraft season, we'll get some less sharp drafters in these best balls and yeah. that, that'll, that'll drive up his price. Always happens. He's always a fourth, fourth or fifth round pick every year for Rogers. And it won't <laughs> just happen to Rogers. It'll happen to all the QBs. Like the, the QB drafts, landscape right now is one where sharp drafters tend to undervalue it like the people who are degenerate enough to be drafting now don't pay for quarterbacks and that is going to change as the offseason plays out but uh, with that in mind I'm I'm still not taking I'm just not taking the third quarterback off the board and that's what it comes down to like I'm not taking Rodgers because I can always wait for somebody else I like I mean Russell Wilson is going over 20 picks later about 20 picks later I I would always take that you know Mm -hmm. arbitrage type of play just I, I think that they're of, they're of similar talent, and why pay up for Rodgers when I can get Wilson you know, 20 picks later? So with that in mind, the, the range where I'm starting to look at quarterback is that maybe QB6 to QB9 range, Drew Brees, Russell Wilson, Matt Ryan, Cam Newton. 
Uh, I think Wilson is my favorite of that group. He just got paid. I, I think that he is probably on talent a top three quarterback in the NFL. Newton scares me a little bit because of the injury. Matt Ryan scares me a little bit because of what you talked about earlier, paying up for a career year. And Breeze scares me because of, you know, just age, losing his center, and the price you have to pay, QB6. So of that group, Russell Wilson's probably the only guy I'll be looking at. And even that, you know, based upon the scheme that Seattle runs now, I'm not super invested there. I'm more likely to target guys in that next tier, kind of that QB10 to QB13 range as my QB1. Uh, all these guys are going between pick 118 and pick 123. Uh, Jared Goff is the QB 10. Jameis Winston is the QB 11. They're going back-to-back in terms of these best ball 10 ADP. Which of those two would you rather draft, Goff or Winston? Uh, probably Jameis. Um, yeah, they're both very good. Goff is in that system, and his his floor is extremely high, and he's he could be a top-five QB overall, obviously, in McVay's offense. But uh, Jameis and that upside, especially in a best ball type of format, Give it to me. I mean, he's got he's got all the talent in the world, and he's got all all, all the targets. You know, uh, I like Jameis a lot. Yep. Uh, the he, next the next two guys in that range: uh, Ben Roethlisberger, QB twelve, a pick one twenty two. Carson Wentz, QB thirteen, a pick one twenty three. You talked about him. Which of those two guys do you prefer, Big Ben or Wentz? I love Wentz. Uh, I was talking about that one twenty seven trigger with uh, Mahomes last year. Wentz is one twenty eight. Wentz is this year's Mahomes. Like, I mean, give me Wentz all day. I don't see why he he shouldn't be a top five QB. I mean he's he's amazing. He's he's one full year, uh, one more year now, two years off of his ACL there. That offense is still elite. Wentz is uh, is an absolute steal at one twenty eight. Oh, that that might be my highest. Other than Rogers, him and Wentz will, uh, will probably be my two highest owned QBs. The guy who I'm more likely to draft, I think, than both of them is Kirk Cousins, who's going at QB fifteen. So yeah. two spots later than Wentz in quarterback ADP, pick one twenty nine. He was the QB nine in ADP last season. So oh, we talked about right. So we talk yeah. about you know the not paying up for a career year when a guy has a down year like Cousins just did. I think that will often signal a value. And with him going at QB fifteen now, that's something I'm actually willing to pounce on. Digging a little deeper, there are three guys going back to back between pick one forty and pick one forty two, according to uh, Josh ADHD's uh, Best Ball Ten ADP app over at Fantasy Insiders and. I filtered this for, let's see, April 2nd to April 22nd. Um, so take that for what you will. Um, but Mitchell Trubisky, QB 19, pick 140. Jimmy Garoppolo, pick 141, QB 20. Steel. Dak Prescott, QB 21, pick 142. All three of these guys back-to-back. Which of this trio do you like the most? Man, uh, I would flip a coin between Prescott and Jimmy G. Probably Jimmy G has the highest upside. I mean... I mean, a lot of people are, are going to look at the stats he had last year, which is nothing. He was a big bust last year. But uh, but he was going about 100 last year, if I remember. And so for him to go about 140, that's insane. That's like 12th round. If you can get him as your QB1 and then take two later guys, you're doing pretty good. I think that's the, the best way to build your best ball lineup is uh, take someone like Jimmy G as your QB1. Yep, Garoppolo was the QB12 in ADP last year, so dropping all the way down to QB20, just like Cousins falling a number of spots, Garoppolo seems like a nice value. Prescott's price hasn't really changed all that much. He was the QB20 last year, he's the QB21 now, and we see it year after year, these Konami Code quarterbacks are perennially underrated. Mm -hmm. Like They always get undervalued because people don't really respect the value of rushing stats, and I think that Prescott's in a really 
good spot to outperform this price in 2019. Like they've added a couple weapons. I think that he is another year older, another year more experienced. Like I think the Cowboys are going to be sneaky, you know, relevant this year. And that's going to make Prescott a, a pretty interesting piece in drafts. I have a feeling I'm going to be targeting him, not just in best balls, but also, uh, you know, in seasonal leagues. I think that he's one of those types of players that will always appeal to me because of that rushing volume. And then after that, like, Dig a little deeper down to Matthew Stafford at QB twenty three, uh, pick one sixty three. I, I think yeah. I saw somewhere that he had a tough he had a tough schedule outlook in two thousand nineteen, which makes sense. He plays the Vikings twice, he plays the Bears twice. I'm not super excited about him with that in mind, but still at QB twenty three, like this is a guy who was routinely a QB ten, a QB eleven, a QB twelve sure. type of player for many many years. He had a bad year last year. We can overlook that. We can fade recency bias. We can look at Stafford as a guy who's potentially a value, even though you know he lost Golden Tate or whatever. I, I don't care so much about that just because the price is still so, so good. Yeah, he was the the late-round QB poster boy for, like, it seems like a decade. So, yeah, and, and, and Kenny, he's got Kenny G. He's got Kenny Galladay. Kenny Galladay could easily be a top-five receiver. That's more, I think that's my favorite pick this year at wide receiver for value. And, uh, no, Stafford is absolute value right way down there for sure. I mean, kind of above all, though, I should probably say that I don't care too much about which of these guys I get. Like, I do want to find this year's Patrick Mahomes or this year's Mitchell Trubisky if I can, but I'm generally okay with drafting most quarterbacks. Like you mentioned Rivers. Uh, We haven't talked about Lamar Jackson or Sam Darnold or a lot of the guys in that in in the rest of that middle tier. Um, Like Tom Brady even is going as the QB 16 right now, which is kind of (laughs) insane. Like, right. I mean, that's about where he finished last year, which just, again, screams recency bias, right? Like, you look at how he finished last year. Oh, we'll just rank him like that this year. Like, that's not how it works, people. Right. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, they beefed up on uh, on his targets. They got Demarius. They got ASJ. I mean, Tom Brady, at worst, he's going to be a top 15 QB. He's the greatest greatest player, NFL player of all time. I don't care if he's 44. QB 14 is ridiculous. How dare you besmirch <laughs> Jerry Rice like that? I, I can't believe you just did that. <laughs> I know, as a 49ers fan. And I know Jerry Rice. <laughs> I used to work with him. Yeah, no. Yeah, sorry, Tom Brady is the GOAT. And it sucks to say it. At least he's from the Bay Area, though. I'll say that he's the quarterback <laughs> goat, but he is he is not my goat. Jerry, I still love you, man. <laughs> Jerry. But yeah, I mean, like you look at where he's going relative to these other guys, and I think it's a fair price. Like you definitely can draft Tom Brady at his ADP or around his ADP. Like he's going one spot behind Kirk Cousins, one spot ahead of Josh Allen. Like give me a break. Like I, I don't care if Brady's a year older, if they lost Gronk, if they seem to be more run heavy. Like he's going to deliver you enough fantasy relevant weeks to return value on that pick i think yeah definitely man yeah give me brady all, all day long i mean if you compare brady with uh one or two other like high four quarterbacks you'll be doing fine totally that's a position, position you don't have to worry about in, in your best ball drafts and you could just just hammer those receivers and running backs and that's how you win leagues yeah just get those to get that value at the quarterback position totally yeah now I, I mentioned josh allen he is one of the few guys who i would probably avoid i he actually it's it's funny like he he profiles as a very good best ball type of quarterback like he's going to have some terrible yeah. weeks but he's going to have some big weeks too based upon his rushing upside and his big play upside like he has that huge arm they have some good vertical receivers there in buffalo so maybe i'm not wrapping my brain around the potential value of josh allen enough and that's why he's going as high as he is 
uh, you know, people are trying to sniff out this year's Pat Mahomes, right? Like last year, Pat Mahomes was the QB 15, I think, in ADP. And that made sense because he was a second year player, but his first year as a starter, we knew he had a lot of talent, a big arm, but we thought he was going to be turnover prone, maybe have some bad games sprinkled in. It turns out he was just amazing. He didn't have any bad games, really, I mean, or very few, if, yeah. if any. And I, I just don't think Josh Allen has that same sort of all-around upside. And I'd be tentative to take him at QB 15 or QB 17 or wherever he's going this year. Um, what do you yeah. think about Josh Allen? Like, What's your read on him? Because I, I don't think I could take him ahead of Trubisky, Garoppolo, Prescott, cause, and that's where he's going right now. Yeah, absolutely. I'm right there with you. Josh Allen's going to be a guy that people are going to overthink. You know, they're going to see his rushing totals. They're going to see he can throw his ball 80 yards. You know, like a lot of people are going to think that they're going to be so smart taking Allen. And, and yeah, he is a good best ball quarterback because his boom bust potential. Sure. But yeah, give me Jimmy G. Give me Prescott all day long over Allen. Allen Allen's going to be okay, but I don't know. I don't think he's very good at being a quarterback in the NFL. He's not very good. What other guys are you looking to avoid? Not necessarily the high-end guys. We've already talked about how the price is usually too steep on those, but maybe from the middle and lower tiers. Are there any quarterbacks you're just not going to touch? Someone like Andy Dalton. uh, He's going to lose his job. He's right now QB 25, 182 overall. I mean, I'm going to be waiting on quarterbacks, and Dalton will be staring right in my face. But um, I'll be be surprised if he starts more than four games this year. I mean, I I would much rather take a lot of these rookie um, quarterbacks over Dalton Someone like him, Josh Allen, like we already talked about. I, I don't. I'm not a big fan of Mitch Trubisky either. I mean, it's 140 overall. Yeah, I'm avoiding those guys. Yeah, I think Trubisky. There is that risk of paying for a career year. I'm. I talked about Allen. I'm not really drafting or interested in drafting Philip Rivers that much. And he's fine year after year, but he's so he's so boring that I think that makes him a bad <laughs> best ball quarterback. Like he doesn't have those big yeah. blow up weeks quite like some of these other guys do. Now, now that I've said that, he'll probably blow up like and have a Matt Ryan type season out of nowhere but I just don't think that he's wired like that I don't know if that team is wired like that it seems like when they're around the goal line instead of looking to have you know like a four touchdown game for Rivers they're more likely Mm -hmm. to get Melvin Gordon like a three touchdown game and get Rivers his one TD you know what I mean yeah for sure he's only getting older too I mean that does make sense but what I like about Rivers is he's gonna have Hunter Henry back I mean red zone target and Mike Williams is gonna step in and be the wide receiver too so yeah, I mean his his touchdown upside is still through the roof. I can't I can't see him like throwing less than thirty touchdowns. You know, it's still Philip Rivers. But yeah, he's getting older. You know, you don't want a string of QB two weeks. If he's always QB ten to QB twenty, you're not going to win your best ball league. You want either QB five or higher or nothing. So yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, and he doesn't really give you anything on the ground. Like he's not going to rush for yeah. touchdowns or yardage, and that's another big downside for him with me. But what's your approach to kind of pairing these guys up or diversifying your quote unquote portfolio of these players? Like if you draft Philip rivers in one draft and then you're doing another best ball and you're looking at a choice between say rivers and cousins, cause they're back to back in ADP. Will you take the same guy again? Will you double, double up on rivers because you think that guy's better or are you more likely to diversify and go with cousins? Like how do you approach those sorts of scenarios? It's always good to diversify, even if you're diver- like in my yearly long league, you don't want to diversify, but you definitely want to diversify in best ball. There, there was times like I had so many shares in Mahomes last year. I kept on taking Mariota over Mahomes, thinking that I have to diversify. I have to diversify. That didn't work for me, but more often than not, diversifying is 
the best way to go for sure. But like, I like if I'm going to take Aaron Rodgers in the seventh round, I just I'll wait until the very end of the draft and get someone like Big Dick Nick, you know, uh, and I'll only draft two uh, quarterbacks. That's a big thing. If I'm going to go all upside, if I'm going to wait on QB and not select a QB until round 12 or later, I'll get three of these guys and I'll diversify between a lot of these upside guys like like Jimmy G or Lamar Jackson, you know, or uh, Daniel Jones. I mean, he might be uh, taking number six overall. I'll, I'll be taking him much later in drafts. But Kyler Murray right now, like I talked about before, he's a hell of a value right now for now. But yeah, no, diversifying is always the way to go. Yeah, and then you brought up a good point about if you wait to take your first QB, you're more likely to take more quarterbacks overall. Like, you'll have three if you wait versus two if you pick one early. I think that's something we kind of glossed over at the beginning of this best ball discussion is that doesn't just apply to quarterbacks. That applies to basically all the positions. Like, if you spend up at running back and you take three running backs right out of the gate, that means that you're going to necessarily have to take more wide receivers in your roster construction to make up for the fact that you passed on all of the top end wideouts and the same can apply to tight ends. Like if you take one of the high end guys, like let's say you pay up for George Kittle at that point, you probably only need to take one more tight end and spend the rest of your draft capital trying to shore up the deficiencies at running back at wide receiver at quarterback that came as a result of you spending a high end pick on a tight end. Right. Yeah, absolutely. If you're punting on either tight end or quarterback, you want to take three. And you, uh, generally, I always go the eight, five, three, three, or three, uh, three, three. So eight receivers, five running backs, and either three quarterbacks or three tight ends. You're going to have to take two out of one of those two positions. So you just figure out who you're going to take first and who you feel stronger about between QB and tight end. So, but, uh, but yeah, I think I think to me, after playing for all these years, I think that's the best best way to go. Yeah, totally. Now, yeah. Looking at just kind of one last thing on quarterbacks before we move on to GOT, I, I think one thing that does stand out to me from last year's results, like I, again, I went back and looked through quarterback pairings and which guys seem to break out. And generally, the quarterbacks who were drafted late that hit hard were all young guys. We're talking about Mahomes. Yeah. We're talking about Goff. We're talking about Mitchell Trubisky, Baker Mayfield, Josh Allen. Ryan Fitzpatrick is like the one weird outlier. He was like the QB 37, so he was probably undrafted in most leagues. But if you happen to draft him, he did return some amount of value. With that said, if you are mining those lower tiers for a breakout type of quarterback, you definitely want to skew younger. You want to skew more unknown, I would say. Like, don't expect that, you know, Andy Dalton's all of a sudden going to put it together again or that Nick Foles is going to be some crazy value because he's going so late like I don't think it works like that like we know who those players are there's a reason they're being drafted so late but on the other hand a player like Kyler Murray a player like Josh Allen a player like Sam Darnold all these guys going a little bit further down ADP they have a a better chance I think to return a lot of value on their draft cost because they're still improving because we haven't seen them put up that big season to drive up their price yet you know what I'm saying yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, definitely. It's the fear of the unknown. People want to know what they're going to get. They're going to want to look at last year's stats more than anything else. And they're going to be afraid of what they don't know, you know. And that's when you can capitalize on that stuff, for totally. sure. All right, uh, so um, Game of Thrones. There, there's, one, oh, sorry, there's one thing I want to say. With the Best Ball 10, uh, there's a little cheat code, a little secret. Almost every live Best Ball 10 draft that I've entered has an auto-drafter. Which is amazing. It it it, it, give, it gets rid of the big like it gets rid of all of the rake. 
you know, so like I've been in drafts where there's three auto drafters. And if you want to win more than 10% of your leagues, like just go in these live best ball drafts. Because what happens, somebody signs up and usually it takes about 30 minutes for the draft to actually start. And they forget about it. They're at work or something like that. So you're going to get a lot of auto drafters in these in these drafts. So if you want to win money, go these best ball 10 uh, live drafts. <laughs> and so you're saying re- relative to the slow drafts that are, I guess, more traditionally yes. associated with best ball 10s. Yeah, the slow drafts, you're going to get some auto drafts, you know, for people that have fallen asleep, you know. But these best ball live with the 60-second timers, generally they're done in about a little over an hour. You're going to have somebody that auto drafts their entire team because they totally forgot that they signed up to it, you know. So so I don't know. I, I That's like 90% of my leagues are the best ball uh, 10 live drafts with the 60-second timers because uh, I, th- I think that's, that's you, you want every edge possible. And if you're going to have one or two auto drafters, that's one or two less uh, less players that you have to worry about. And that might be indicative of the time of year we're at right now. Like as the season approaches, as we get closer, you might see a little bit less of that, I would imagine. But you never know. It's it's possible. Like you said, people sign up for this stuff, forget about it. But that's that's a great piece of advice. And we're always looking for those sorts of edges uh, when we're looking for contests to join in, you know, DFS, best balls, uh, whatever. Um, Let's talk about Game of Thrones. Yes. Season two, episode two was another big setup. A lot of talking, a lot of great conversations between characters that we love and they're probably all about to die uh but with that said (laughs) we have to continue our little tradition from last episode where we compared where we translated game of thrones characters into the nfl as players this week we're going to talk about got characters as coaches in the nfl who stands out to you as potentially a good coach for an nfl team from the game of thrones universe jeff um someone that i think that can rally the troops and is very clever has a great game plan when you are undermanned. It's like a Giants over Patriots Super Bowl thing. Tyrion Lannister, specifically at the Battle of the Blackfire, that speech that he gave to the Lannister soldiers after King Joffrey got up and left, like, do it for yourself. He's like, don't fight for your king. Fight for your honor and your glory. Do it for you. It was so good. Uh, and so uh, you want a guy that's going to rally the troops like Jim Harbaugh. And, uh, yeah, Tyrion, and, and he did the wildfire. Oh, my God. He blew up half of Stannis' ships from wildfire. The little dwarf did his trick, Stannis said. So, um, so yeah, between the wildfire and rallying those troops, and, and Cersei was on the throne ready to kill herself and Tommen because she thought she was going to die. And she's the smartest person around, too. So, yeah, give me Tyrion. He was on my list as well, although if you're looking at that one battle as potentially yes. like an NFL game, if we look at his entire run through the show as, you know, one contest or one game, I, I worry that maybe Tyrion's a little bit more Andy Reid than he is Jim Harbaugh, <laughs> you know, like a brilliant strategist, but prone to some mistakes and crunch time, maybe a little clock yeah. mismanagement here coming down to the wire. Uh, he got called out in episode two for some of those mistakes. So yep. uh, I, I do think that he would make a great coach in the NFL. Uh, my other pick here was uh, just Daenerys Targaryen. And I, I would liken her more to like a Kyle Shanahan type, like talented, but perhaps a little overly aggressive. You know, if you're up 28 to three, maybe just hand the ball off a couple times and win that way. And don't, don't force the issue. Use up that clock when you can, Daenerys. Let's, uh, let's play to our <laughs> strengths here. We don't, we don't have to always be burning everyone alive. <laughs> right <laughs> he might be on the hot seat right now literally <laughs> yeah no doubt. i like I, I like stannis too talk about tactician he's a totally military type of guy he reminds me of belichick with no nonsense you know he's doing his duty you know <laughs> so. yeah i was trying to think of like what 
I feel like Jon Snow is a great proxy for a coach. Just his ability to lead men seems pretty paramount. Like he's one of the best in this story at doing that. But I, I don't know. He seems like a reluctant leader. And I don't know if you can have a coach who doesn't really want to be the coach. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. You're, you're going to want to take it by, by its horns, you know, <laughs> definitely. He's, he's always the reluctant leader. So you don't want a guy that's like, yeah, I don't really want to do this, but <laughs> I'm good at it though. So I guess so. <laughs> I guess I'll do it. Uh, do you have anybody <laughs> else uh, you think would make a good coach? <laughs> not really. Not really. <laughs> uh, did you know, did you know, by the way, I have a piece of trivia. Uh, George R. R. Martin was a huge New York Giants fan. He named one, one, the giant uh, from Phil Sims, Phil Sims number yeah. 11. Yeah. I didn't know crazy, that. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I, I came across that the other day. The reason he's not writing more Game of Thrones novels is because he's busy live journaling about the Jets and the Giants. Like, that's yeah, what he does. Yeah, Sam Darnold. <laughs> oh, God. That's so funny. Oh, God. We're never going to see. We're never going to read an ending. Never. <laughs> a, a couple other just quick ones I'll throw out as potentially good coaches. The High Sparrow and Davos Seaworth, uh, the Onion Knight. I think that those guys would both make uh, pretty good coaches, although I don't really have like great comps for them like I did with... Uh, uh, Tyrion is Andy yeah. Reid and Daenerys is Kyle Shanahan. Right. Very persuasive, the Sparrow. Uh, definitely. He, he will have his way no matter what. But uh, yeah, it will all go down in flames at the end. <laughs> all right. So we got to get to our next character to die draft. And on the previous two episodes, we only picked one character each. With the Battle of Winterfell on tap, we really have to go a little bit deeper here because there are probably going to be a lot of characters who die in this, this yeah. particular episode, episode three. Uh, so I do want to note before we start drafting that timing does matter. We're trying to pick the first character to die. So uh, we both missed on Ned Umber dying in episode one. Uh, the only thing that died in episode two was Arya's Maidenhead. So no points <laughs> no points assigned there. Um but we're going to do four rounds of picks, and it's an odd-numbered round. You get to start this one, Jeff. Uh, so not only are you trying to pick a character who you think is going to die in Episode 3, but the one you think is going to die first. And it doesn't have to necessarily have to be your first pick. Like, you can try to game the draft a little bit, as we always do when we're uh, doing fantasy. But uh, who, who do you got? Like, who is at the top of your list? <laughs> I'm still laughing at Ari's Maidenhead. Did you know one of the highest Google search terms after the episode last night was Macy Williams' age? Because people are so worried. <laughs> that does not all surprise right. me at all. And it did cross <laughs> my mind. I was like, yeah, do we really need to do this? Like, you could like... I like it. She's 22. It's fine. <laughs> I'm, I'm not saying it's not fine. I'm just, I just like, I don't know. That, that whole scene felt a little forced to me, to be honest. But I get why they put it, it in there. It did. She has the hands of a blacksmith, like uh, like Ned said. So literally, she has the hands of a blacksmith. All right. So my my uh, so we're at the beginning of the third round. It looks like. All right. So this guy has an ADP of round one, and it's the most obvious pick. This guy is going to die. He just told his girlfriend that he will take her to Uh Give me Wormsy. Give me Grey Worm. He's dead. Yep. He was the top <laughs> of my board as well. That's a good yeah, pick. I I figured, yeah, I had to take him. I, I was going to take somebody else, but I was like, no, he's so obvious. He's just staring right there on me. So, yeah, yeah. he's definitely going to die. Ah, oh, man, that bugs me. I was hoping that you would take somebody else. I mean, there's so, it really is funny. Like, I have a list of, like, ten characters here, and I feel like eight or nine of them are going to die. And yeah. I feel pretty confident about which ones I think are going to die. The thing I'm struggling with is the, the timing and, yeah. and where, yeah. like, who's going to go first. And yeah. I don't necessarily know if if gray worm will kick the bucket first out of this group mm. and i i don't know if my next pick will either but with the second pick in the third round i'm gonna take jorah mormont uh oh, that was my second pick yeah that, him, him and gray worm seem like the two guys who are most clearly going to die i just 
I, I worry that they're not going to die early in the episode, and that worries yeah. me. But with that said, I get another pick. So, uh, ah. suck it, Jeff. Yeah, screw you. <laughs> and jo- I feel like Sam giving Jorah heart stain was just like, hey, uh, I'll, I'll get it back soon. <laughs> Hope you enjoy it for a few minutes. <laughs> yeah, so with my next pick, first pick of the fourth round, I'm I'm torn again. Like, I feel like some of this stuff has to wait. Like, we're not going to see a lot of these folks die right away. I don't know. I think I just have to pick the character I'm most confident is going to kick the bucket. Like, I don't necessarily know if I can worry too much about the timing of it. And so with that in mind, I'm going to pick Brienne of Tarth. I really don't want to see her go, but she was third on my board. Like, I'm pretty sure she's going to eat it in episode three, which is a bummer. But uh, yeah, I mean, I I hope I'm wrong about this one. Let's put it that way. Yeah, she was third on my board, too. And I really don't want her to die. Like, holy crap. I thought she was gonna, I don't know. I, I, I did not think that she would die right here, but it seems like her story arc has fulfilled. Like, she, she was just knighted. She's Sir Brienne now. I mean, that's, I don't know. It's so, like, so foreboding. Uh, so, I agree. All so right. So, back to you. Two picks. Uh, the wheel at the 4 5 turn. Okay. So at the 4 5 turn, since you took all my best players. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, uh, this one is my theory. Uh, it, I mean, throughout the this episode, they were talking about the safest place in all of Westeros is the freaking crypts. <laughs> mm, interesting. Uh, so they said over and over and over and over again. They said, uh, "Yeah, the crypts are are you, nobody's going to die in the crypts." So, so I'm going to go Varys. Ah, damn you! Var- yeah, <laughs> I didn't know he was on your board. <laughs> Varys Melisandre just told him in the last season that he has to die in this strange land. Uh, we might see Melisandre too, but yeah, the Varys. Uh, yeah, there's there's gonna be some shit going on in the crypts that we can discuss a little bit. Uh, so and and also another person that's gonna be in the crypts, uh, not Tyrion. I think he'll somehow get out alive. But uh, uh, Gilly, if if uh, she's valid, I think Gilly's gonna die. You've got Gilly <laughs> on your list. Oh man, bold! I don't see I do. that happening. Like with little Sam down there. I I mean maybe we could. We've definitely. I mean we've seen them do worse stuff yeah. than kill off. Uh, you know, a young mother. They've they they killed off uh everybody at the red wedding in a pretty gruesome way. So I could see that. Um, I, 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 she was not on my board though. I don't, I didn't think that she was going to die, but you might be right. Varys, I totally agree with. I, I think that one thing that really made me want, I, I was hoping you would sleep on him and I'd get him with one of my next two, but <laughs> my issue with Varys is that he's kind of become useless in the show. Like he doesn't really do anything yeah. anymore. And with that in mind, like there's no point in keeping him around. So why not kill him off? I think that that, yeah, that was a great pick. I, I, I wish I would have taken him <laughs> over Brienne because I actually think Varys is more likely to die early than Brienne. I think I might have made a mistake there. Yeah, I feel like his storyline is also done. He brought Daenerys to Westeros. He was all about the Targaryen restoration and everything, and and he's gotten stupid, just like just like Tyrion. Like, like, come on, man, you're the smartest guy in the room. Like, yeah, he he's he's done. <laughs> oh man, so that leaves me with two picks left to close this mm. thing out. Uh, and then you have one more, but my my two, I gotta figure out who I want here. I gotta, I gotta game the system a little bit. I'm I have a lot of options, and I don't feel super good about any of them. Man, I really wanted Varys. I hate you, Jeff. <laughs> I'm glad I jacked him. For you. you took my two guys. <laughs> okay, so I'm gonna start with Jan Royce of the Giant okay. Breastplate. And yes. if only because, like Varys, he seems like an expendable character at this point. I, I 
don't think that he really matters in the long-term arc of the show. Uh, unlike someone like Tyrion or Jaime, like I, I expect one or both of them to make it through this battle. Uh, so yeah, Jan Royce will be my fifth pick. Uh, and then, oh, damn, I get one more. There's so <laughs> many to choose from. Oh, yeah, man, I want to pick like three more characters. Um, yeah, I know. I got. I have two guys, so I'm safe. Whoever you want. One I don't want to die because he's my favorite character, and then uh, one that. I All right, well then die. I'm gonna make you pick him because I, I no, know no. exactly who you're talking about. No. Uh, but I guess I guess we could both let him slip um, if, <laughs> if I don't take your other one. All right, so yeah, with my last pick, the sixth uh, pick here, I'm gonna go with Podrick Payne, uh, no. and I don't feel great about it. I think that there is some utility in keeping him around to kind of maybe uphold like i i feel like it wouldn't surprise me if one of him or brienne lived through this and i hope that they both make it but uh i'm gonna take pod pain i like pod sex god pod man pod the rod with the amazing voice by the way that was incredible (laughs) and uh that song at the end at the end credits uh florence of the machine was amazing too so uh i kind of want uh brienne to knight pod now now that brienne's certain uh sir all right, uh, this is heartbreaking for me. My, the final pick in the sixth round, my favorite character in the whole show, but uh, he's going to die in the arms of the woman he loves. Jamie Lannister is going to die in the arms of Brienne, so hopefully Brienne lives so I can get extra points. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Jamie, I don't know. He's, he's at the left flank. He just happened to say, like, hey, I'll be your second-hand man, you know? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, Jamie, Jamie could be done. I don't want him to be done. I still think he's going to strangle Cersei. But, uh, yeah, there's going to be some heartbreaking moments in this upcoming episode. So, R.I.P. Jamie, probably. Oh, that's not who I thought you were going to take. I could have sworn you were going to pick Torment, And yeah. maybe it's yeah. just because we both want him to live that we did not pick him. <laughs> I think so. I think it's so obvious that Tormund's going to die, too. <laughs> I know. He should have been a pick, like, over half of these characters that we took. And he definitely should have been a pick over Yara Greyjoy, your number one overall. Yeah, the the Le'Veon Bell of this draft, as you said. I picked, yeah, I picked Yara. I was on Bovada right before our first podcast two weeks ago. And she had the the best odds to die. And I was like, yes, I got inside information. And no, Bovada doesn't know shit. <laughs> so um yeah man no it, him sucking on the the giant teat for three months that was that was some good shit and then he chugged that whole horn of whatever it was yeah, like sour, sour sour milk goat's milk sour oh my goat's God. milk yeah amazing yeah. I, I, I we gotta keep here. torment around he's the he's the best yeah neither one of us wants to take him because yeah he's so good <laughs> yeah I, I and i have like a bunch of other candidates here we might as well talk about him. i mean we all we all know who the characters are but i think that you know, Tormund's definitely a good bet to to eat it. I think Gendry could go. I almost picked Ghost over Pod, the the direwolf. Yeah. I think Davos. Uh, I think the Night King might die in this episode, which would be crazy, Ooh. but I think that could happen. Uh, Lyanna Mormont, I feel, is probably safe, but at the same time, like yeah. demanding that she was going to be out there fighting makes me think that yeah, she might be gone too. Uh, <laughs> I did have Tyrion and Jaime on my list, and the big one for me. Do you think Jon Snow might die here? Oh man, oh no, I don't. That would be insane. What is your what is your uh, thinking behind that? <laughs> I, I just I think it could make some sense, especially if yeah. he's perhaps uh, planted a, a seed in the belly of the Dragon Queen. Uh, you know, perhaps yeah. Aegon the Seventh, because we know that John is Aegon the Sixth, and we know that we're talking about the Seven Kingdoms, the Seven Gods. Uh, you know, there, there's there's some iconography around the number seven in this show, and it, I think it would yeah. be fitting if the real prince that was promised was Aegon the Seventh. Uh, you know, the son of Daenerys and 
Jon yeah. Snow slash Aegon yeah. VI. So I agree. Yeah, the Azor High prophecy might be da- uh, Danny and Jon's son. And I also think Jon could sacrifice himself. I mean, he could be, pull like a Will Turner type of Caribbean thing and uh, become the Night King. And I could see possibly that happening. They have a bad. They have such a bad strategy. They're just going to lure the Night King to try to kill Br- Bran. Like, what the hell? What's going on? Yeah, <laughs> it's it's really strange. So, I mean, do you have any other? Uh, hold on, let, let's recap real quick, uh, just for the listeners. So, dating back a couple episodes, uh, here are Jeff's picks starting in round one. He has Yara Greyjoy, the worst pick of the draft. Uh, <laughs> Eric Dondarrion, which was a great pick. Grey Worm, which was, which was a great pick. Varys, a great pick. Gilly, terrible pick. And <laughs> Jamie, uh, I, I think is a bad pick because I agree. I think that he has to kill Cersei, or he's probably going to kill Cersei. So I think he makes it, and I think that Brienne dying is you know part of what spurs Jamie to maybe lose it. it for my picks i had dolores ed of the night's watch in the first round uh theon Greyjoy in the second then uh in this episode i took jorah brienne uh jan royce and podrick Payne. so that's who we're rooting for here now in terms of scoring uh the first character to die uh if it's one of the ones that we chose is going to be worth two points and then if someone from the other team dies that that team will break serve essentially and you'll only get one point for that so if you can stack up multiple picks in a row you'll get increasing points for that so uh again the order matters we're going to be paying attention to that in episode three it's going to be a beast of a show and there's going to be a lot of death so looking forward to it can't wait to see you know how my heart gets broken by game of thrones (laughs) yet again other predictions jeff for episode three or maybe even beyond like what what do you think is happening or what, what are you curious to see take place in these these next few episodes yeah, talk about an uh, epic upcoming week between the largest battle in cinematic history, this battle for Winterfell. We're going to watch in-game, or I am, uh, on Thursday. We're going to watch the draft on Thursday. This is the most insane week of content I've ever experienced. I cannot wait. Uh, I can't believe it's all happening all within three days. I'm wondering where the Night King is. You said he might die. Um, so I'm thinking... He might pull a battle of uh, Whispering Wood, and uh, everyone's going to think that the Night King's going to be at Winterfell, but maybe he is going to uh, King's Landing. I don't know. I don't know. Danny's vision back in, I think, season two, I had her at, at the throne room with what looked like either snow or uh, dragonfire. So it could be either one with the Night King and her not touching the throne, which means I don't think she's ever going to get the throne. So, yeah, uh, I'm wondering what the hell's going to happen. Is between that or. Uh, uh, the crypts of Winterfell. I mean, they were talking about the crypts not being safe at all. I could see the Night King. There's, there's secret entrance, entrances and exits at the crypts, so he might be uh, just uh, making a little nice little surprise to the people down there. Totally, yeah. I think that's one of my big predictions for Episode Three is that we're going to see some of the dead in the Winterfell crypts rise and, and come back to life. Uh, that that seems like a stone cold lock, and it's one of the reasons why I'm so mad that you took Varys and I didn't. Uh, <laughs> I, I think that we might see like a, a savior sort of scene from Melisandre, the Red Priestess. Uh, I, I don't think we can rule that out. She said that she had to yeah. come back and die in Westeros uh, in that same, you know, kind of prophesizing that Varys would die. Uh, the fact that she knew of that and knew like that she knew she would die, that she knew Varys would die likely means that she saw in a vision that they were both going to die in a similar area or maybe in the same place exactly who knows and i think that that's yeah a definite possibility i'm curious to see if bran can perhaps warg a dragon in this episode mm. uh, we still don't know if he can do that and that might be one of the ways they can actually win this battles if he could take over uh the reanimated dragon or 
potentially one of the other dragons if he if need be because it's unlikely that they're going to get a writer that's not danny and not john i'm also wondering if we might just see more dragon death in general in this episode like yeah. if some of the dragons kill each other i think that would be uh, a distinct possibility i'm trying not to speculate too far beyond this episode though because it's it's so loaded man there's just so much that's gonna yeah. happen here there's so much unknown still i can't wait this is going to be quite the episode man i'm so pumped I want to see two dragons in midair, one blue fire, one red orange's fire going at it. Oh my fucking god, that's going to be amazing. My they're, body's they're, ready. They're, they're saving their elephant CGI budget just for this. <laughs> I'm telling you, man, the elephants are coming later. Don't don't rule it out. <laughs> Episode five, we're going to see a ton of elephants on Westeros. Oh great. man. Just crushing Cersei to death. That'd be great. <laughs> all right, man. Oh, well, man. Uh, that's all I got on the Game of Thrones front. Do you have anything else you want to add before we sign off? No, I'm I'm good. I, I'm ex- I was excited for Clegane Ball, but that might happen see, uh, episode five or six. Yeah, it is it is <laughs> funny how I didn't even mention the Hound as a guy who could potentially die because that's no. another one that just seems like a stone cold lock. Like we have to see the yeah. Mountain and the Hound square off at some point this season, and it's probably not going to happen in episode three. So that means that you know the Hound is going to live. Thank goodness. Yes. Cool. One of the greatest characters. Cool. All right. Well, uh, Jeff, thank you for joining me. Listeners, thank you for joining us. And uh, we will catch you next time. Please rate and review the show. Subscribe if you haven't already. Adios. Adios.